We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Well, good morning, friends. How are we doing? Great to see you again. Great to see you again. That is, um, that is a great prayer as we just continue in our service. Um, it was good to just mull over those words that, that, that really our God has no rival. He has no equal. And I was just praying on the front row that um, our church would leave here today really surrendered to Him and, uh, and that, that, um, that you wouldn't remember um, uh, cute words or um, phrases or nice quotes coming from the past or whatever, but that you would be more in love with Jesus and that you would say, hey, there's no rival, there's no equal, and I want to live for his kingdom. I want to live for his glory now and forever. Amen. Amen? So let's, let's do that together. Let's have our hearts be at a place where we can, where we can ask the Lord to do in and through us. Uh, and, and through that in us. If you would, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And while you're going there, just want to thank you. Man, we have a loving and caring and prayerful church. If you didn't know, I had COVID last week. And you guys, um, you guys were so good to our family. Someone even brought over dog bones for our dogs. I know. How about that? That is that is love right there. That is love. So um, continue to pray. We've got some folks sick here, and we've got the, not here. I shouldn't worry or whatever. They're home. But uh, um, uh, Scott Ratliff had back surgery this past week, and so um, the Lord is is stirring. He's working in us, and so if you're joining us online. We're glad you are watching, and we pray that um, this would be a meaningful and worshipful time for you. Well, let's get in in the Word. We want to hear from God this morning. I want to read to you one verse from the portion of Scripture that we're going to be studying. I'm in Romans 6, and we're in 5 through 23. I want to read verse 22 to you. Verse 22 is awesome. It has been with the body of Christ for over two millennia. It's been ministering. We are not the first ones to hear this verse. Um, it is pretty punchy, and I want to read it to you, okay? This is Romans 6, 22. This is the word of the Lord. But now that you have been set free from sin... And you become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Great verse. Great verse. Uh, slavery, friends, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine the original audience, the Church of Rome, 
reading this verse for the first time. Can you imagine just what they were thinking, what was going on in their minds? The amount of slavery happening around them. Just think like the Colosseum and gladiators and death and bloodshed. This massive slavery. It's estimated that uh, under the reign of Julius Caesar, that he captured and enslaved over 500,000 people during this time. Which if you want a modern day comparison, that's about the population of Atlanta, Georgia. All of Atlanta under slavery. How do you think Christians read this verse uh, even during the Middle Ages? During the time where King Charlemagne was uniting uh, different parts of Western and Central Europe. How do you think... How do you think the church during that time read verse 22? This is a time in, in world history where, um, where slaves were becoming wildly popular. If you just think about some Muslim countries, um, even Spain, Portugal, were under a constant state of just holy wars and the crusades happening where women and children were continually being enslaved. And here we come to this verse today that talks about slavery to God. How do you think it landed on those ears? Or what about during the same time over in China, during the Tang Dynasty, right? We don't think about that a lot. But way out east, where there was massive raids in Korea and Persia, Indonesia, thousands of slaves, aboriginal slaves from tribes, different things, being forced to work and having their freedom taken from them. How do you think they understood this verse? You think it like brought warm fuzzies to them, right? Just, oh, I just want to learn more about what it means to be a slave to God, right? But what about the slave trade in America? Just put yourself there under a tree in the south. During those times. Just imagine the inhumane treatment of our fellow image bearers of God. And the evilness of slavery during that time in our country. And how in the world did this verse ever encourage, build up, and edify the body of Christ, when all they could understand of slavery was an evilness and a darkness. What if you were a Haitian child when child slavery was going on? What if you were sitting next to a child in Haiti? Maybe they, they were growing in Christ. Would you take them to Romans 6? Or would you avoid that language of slaves? You say, ah, uh, they don't need to hear that. What's wrong with slavery as we understand it? We know that uh, no human should ever have the concept or belief that they are allowed to or, or have the right to own another human. We learned last week from Tim Allen that life is precious. Amen? We don't treat 
other humans casually, whether it's from the moment of conception all the way to its end, that we as followers of God uh, uphold life. All right, so if a slave, whether it's during the time of the Roman Empire or within, you know, during the Civil War or whatever, when a slave hears that there is an opportunity to be free, okay? When a slave hears that there's a path laid out for them for freedom, most certainly ears perk up. Like freedom is an extremely attractive word to a slave. So if you're taking notes today, the title of our message is Slaves to God. Slaves to God. And I want you to listen to the big idea of this text. If you're new with us, you know that we, we share like a timeless truth. It's, it's true of Scripture back then and also for now. And so we, we want to capture what the Bible is saying. And uh, Newman wants to fall in the background. He doesn't want to rival or doesn't want to be equal to the words of God. But he wants the, the word of God to be made known. And so we just summarize it in such a way. And, and I want you to capture it this morning and think about it deeply with me. Okay? Remember, if a slave hears that there's an opportunity for freedom, their ears are going to perk up. And the idea of today is this, that the path of freedom is slavery to God. The path of freedom is slavery to God. That's the message. And if you hear that, you might be going like, wait, what? Like, if you're a slave, shouldn't like the good news that you bring to me today um, shouldn't it be like freedom, period? But like the words that you're using is that the path of freedom has me jump back into slavery. That makes no sense to me. And that's what we're going to study this morning. No one, uh, no one in our congregation is a slave in the sense of like how we understand slavery prior to the civil war but this morning we're going to see that the bible says that everyone is under slavery everyone is enslaved to either something or someone and so the bible this morning is going to say you're either a slave to your sin or you're a slave to god there's no free agents in the kingdom of God, you transfer from your slave, your enslavement, your, your bondage to sin, to being bonded to Jesus. And really, I'm praying that this morning, as a result of being in this text this morning, that you would have a disdain, like almost a gag reflex, for being enslaved to sin. But then also, even though we've, we've like combed through some of the timeline of understanding of slavery, that you would begin to delight and be warmed to the idea of being a slave to God. And it would bring great comfort that you're not just floating out there 
but someone owns you. So I'm going to make five statements this morning just to try to bring it to clarity um, and to try to um, make known the path of freedom for you. Okay, so here we go. Are you ready? Number one, here's the first statement with regards to being a slave to God and being free. Number one, you must die in order to be free. I'll read Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And here's verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay, so you want to know what the path to freedom is? Death. (laughs) You must die to yourself. You must repent and look to Christ by faith. And then you will be, just as the text says, you will be set free. So let me just like conversationally argue maybe what you feel in your spirit, okay? So maybe that truth was just declared. Maybe in your mind you're going, well, that's easy for you to say. But it is true, Christian, if you have come to the end of yourself, and if you have died to your old self, your ways, your sin, and if you have come to Christ, then you've been set free from your sin positionally. This is a great truth of the Christian. You've been united with him. And so I would describe it like this. Um, First, you must, you must know that you are either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And it's cool because you can know that. You can know if you're a Christian or not. Um, when, when a person begins to visit our church and um, they express interest in joining our church in membership, we ask them, awesome, that's wonderful. Are you a Christian? Right? And we ask them how they came to Christ. Have they ever repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus? It's really important to know if you're a Christian or not. Um, That's not just so that you know your eternal destiny if you die. But it's also important for you to know so that you know how to walk with God in this life while you are a Christian. If you... If you know you are a Christian, you know you are set free from your sin and you know how to deal with your sin. You know how you are not enslaved to it. You know how to battle it. If you are a believer, positionally you have died to your sin and your very nature has changed. I was talking to a friend um, who, who shared with me this conversation a few weeks ago. He was, he was asking another person, so are you a believer? And, the believer? and this person said, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm a believer. Awesome. Great. Are you converted? And they're like, no. No, I'm not converted, but I'm a believer. 
And he was like, what? And so, wait, so you, you're, a, you're a Christian, but you're not born again? And they're like, that's exactly right. I'm a Christian, but I am not born again. I am definitely not converted, but I'm a believer. And friends, that is not, that's not Christianity. That's not, that's not Christendom. That's a false understanding of what it means to become a Christian. Once you believe, then you are converted. And the life you lived before is now dead. And now your life is a life lived to and for God. Amen? Conversion is just that. It's a converted person. It changes you. So when you become a Christian, that is conversion. And it is dying to your old self and being made new. So, have you died yet? <laughs> have you died yet spiritually? Have you put away the old self? And have you become a Christian? Number two, number two, consider yourselves dead to sin. I'll read verses 11 and 12. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. All right, so this is just being really practical and, um, and, and talking with real people. Doesn't it seem like Paul is a little impractical here? I mean, we're talking about sin here, and he says, well, just consider yourself dead to sin. And it's like, what good does that do, right? So let me just share three illustrations of what it means to consider yourself dead to sin, okay? Um, illustration number one. When, um, in a Muslim home, when a member of that home becomes a Christian, the parents are mandated to kick out, let's just say, the daughter, okay? The daughter becomes a Christian. Their responsibility as good, faithful Muslims is to say, you're dead to me. They take the daughter, they move her out, they close the door, and they no longer want anything to do with her anymore. When I see you on the street, I don't want to say hi to you. I'll pretend you're not even there. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You're dead. This, that's the idea where Paul says, consider yourself dead to sin. It's, it's the, now the Christian that says, you're dead to me, sin, and I'm moving you out of my house, and I don't want any part of you anymore. That's what it means to consider yourself dead to sin. That's the passion and the drive that the Christian has. The zeal to be done with sin and to be away from you. I want it out of my house. I don't want any more familiarity with you, sin. When I see you along the streets, I'm going to turn my head. I'm going to look the other way because you no longer hold a place in my home. You're dead to me. When you consider yourself dead to sin, you have a zeal to no longer be associated with it. 
Got it? All right, so if you're still asking, okay, Newman, come on, what's, what's, give me some more, what's, give me the significance still about what it means to consider myself dead to sin. Uh, illustration number two, okay? A few years back, uh, I started realizing that I, I needed to start saying no to desserts, <laughs> right? I couldn't just eat everything. I just didn't have no in my vocabulary when it came to food. I was, ah, I was you know, an athlete, metabolism high and things and that. Started getting old and stuff. And I was like, you know, I better start saying no to stuff. And so like, I, put, um, I put some restrictions or guidelines on myself and said, you know what? I'm only going to eat desserts on Friday. I'm only going to eat desserts on Friday. The decision was made in my heart. I considered desserts dead to me until Friday. Okay. And uh, it was a good habit. It was a good habit that I have. And um, like when dessert came my way on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, I didn't have to revisit the decision or entertain it in my head, like, well, I wonder if I should have it or not today, because I made the decision already, desserts are for Friday, right? If you consider yourself dead to sin, what you're doing is you're removing the frequency of decisions. You don't have to entertain in your mind and your heart, should I, should I sin this way? What do you think? Should I, should I entertain those thoughts? Should I do that? But if you are decisive, if you make the decision, if you consider yourself dead to specific sins, nah, I'm dead to that. Then it's actually easier. You don't have to revisit that in your mind and heart again. You've considered it dead. It's a decision point that recognizes the path that leads to death and lifelessness. Right? And I know that's like nice, like, ha, 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 we'll laugh about chocolate cake here or there and Friday night dessert. But, but when it comes to sin, this is such a serious matter. All of you, I'm sure, have seen sin wreck lives. And so let me just pastor you for a second. You must decide you must consider yourself dead to sin before you engage in sinful activities. And I think the easiest thing to grab a hold of conceptually is sexual sin. So this is, this is illustration number three. Understanding how to consider yourself dead to sin. Okay? So let's say, for example... The high school student, the college student that, that um, is male and has started dating a female, right? Be becomes interested in her and begins to be tempted sexually towards her. He must decide to be pure with her prior to entering into the moment of temptation. He must decide beforehand, I will respect this young woman. I will not touch her. I will treat her like she is going to be someone else's spouse. Like she's going to be someone else's wife one day. It's a decision point. 
He's got to be serious about it. He'll never be able to, in the moment, choose rightly. Listen to what Job said. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look upon a woman lustfully. That's a decision right there. I'm not going to do it. Job did not say, well, when the moment arises, I'm going to see what I feel. And then I, I hope I'll do the right thing. Nope. Does that, does that land with you? Three illustrations? Maybe if it hasn't yet, though, maybe if you're like, well, I'm not in high school or college anymore, Mike. Like, Maybe you've been married for 20 or 30 years. You've been in the same job. You've lived in the same house. You've experienced the same rhythms in your life. And you're like, I, I, I still struggle with the same sin. What's the deal? And is there any hope for me? What do I do? Friend, there's a ton of hope for you. You also must consider yourself dead to sin. Your job, just like the high schooler or the college student, is to ask the Holy Spirit to identify your sin. And once you have it, right, that's the work of the Spirit convicting you. Once He brings it to the surface and you know, oh, that I'm, that's a sin in my life. Once you know, you must decide and believe that you're dead to it and that you're alive to God. You've got to move it out of your house. If you see this sin on the street, whether it's laziness or apathy or bitterness or envy, you've got to turn the other way. You've got to go to the other side of the street. You must have no part in it anymore. This is the zeal that you must have for holiness and turning away from sin. You must be decisive about pursuing righteousness before you're tempted. So do you have the specific sin in your mind, church? Remember, these aren't just nice talks. We come to church and just hear niceties. The Word of God speaks to our lives and actually helps us. And I'll say this, that the last two weeks, ever since we started Romans 6, God is using His Word to stir, stir our local body of believers in incredible ways. It's been very exciting to see. All right, so ask me this question, okay? All right, so Mike, so I just need to believe that I'm dead to sin and that'll take care of things? Like, is it a cognitive decision? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. Paul actually says, well, that's a big part of it, but there's more to it. So let's go to number three. Number three, he says, present all of you to God. Present all of you to God. I'll read Romans 6, 13 through 14. Here we go. Do not present your members to sin as in instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. I know this is deep stuff. You guys are doing really well. I'm praying that this will just really minister to you. 
So isn't it interesting that Paul says to present yourself to God, right? And I think that we can really understand that conceptually. Like we've all kind of heard that idea of I need to give myself to the Lord. We've all sung like I surrender all. It's kind of that concept, right? But he does get really specific and he says to present your members to God. So of course, yes, mind, heart, soul, like strength, but like, is he talking about like my members, like my arms and my legs and like everything that I got, my, my gifts, my talent, even my calendar? Like, is he saying, is he saying that if I do that, it'll help me live a righteous life? It'll help me fight sin? Yes. Yes, he is. You are to present all of you. This is not just like a heart thing. This is all of you to God to be used by Him and not for your own lustful desires, passions, or pleasures. So let's just talk about this, this idea of presenting your members to Him because I think this will be really beneficial. And I don't think there's a lot of teaching out there on this. Okay, Why do you think He said it like this, church? Like, I think, I think he means this, okay? God wants you to do the right thing even if we don't feel like doing it. I think that's what he's getting at. And I'll say it in a different way. God wants us to obey him regardless of our emotions. And so he wants us to, in essence, sometimes go through the motions Present your very body up to God, even if your emotions or feelings aren't there yet. They're going to catch up, but he wants you to do the right thing anyways, right? So like, for instance, how many times have you done the right thing without the emotions or the feelings, but you're thankful that you did it afterwards, like, uh, how many times have you like woken up early to get a, 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 workout, a workout in and you're like, oh, I just can't wait to work out. Right, me neither, right? But once you do work out, you're like, thankful I did that. I feel a lot better. Right, yeah. Or what about like uh, getting your oil changed? Oh, I just can't wait to go to the car place or I can't wait to get under there and just... Just get all grimy and dirty and just get on my back under the car. Oh, yeah. But afterwards, you're like, I'm thankful I did it because uh, if I don't do that, I think my car will pretty much stop, right? Like it'll break. And so I'm thankful I did the oil change. Or kids, what about this? Oh, I can't wait, mom, dad. Can I please do my chores? It's Saturday morning, right? But aren't you grateful that after your room's clean and after you wipe down the sink, aren't you thankful that you can like brush your teeth in a clean sink? Yes. Yes is the right answer. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and you need to hear this. And so it is with the Christian life sometimes. God is working in your life and He's leading you to do the right thing even if your experiential feelings or, or like emotions aren't there yet. So church, do the right thing and allow your emotions and feelings to follow. And in doing this, 
pursuing God, like presenting your body and, and pursuing righteousness is actually a really good way to fight sin. If I were hearing that, the rebuttal that I would have would be this. Oh, so are you telling me that I'm just like this lifeless shell and I just walk around with zero heart, emotion, passion in the Christian life? God just, just wants me to do the right thing and get in line? Or, and I need to say it like this, is my God the God that just cracks the whip? Is that the kind of slavery that I'm under as a Christian? No. Watch this. Number four. And these next two points will prayerfully be the reason why you're here this morning. If you've ever unfolded a ladder, you know that it's got two locking points or else it's not stable. And these next two points, it's like lock, lock. Oh, this is so good to hear. Number four, God grants his slaves the heart to obey. It's beautiful. Not my idea. Watch this, verses 16 through 18, but take out a pen and get ready to read verse 17 with me, okay? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become, and this is the phrase of the passage right here. This is one of the most significant phrases in the New Testament. You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So what's the answer again? Like, is Paul advocating a lifeless, heartless obedience to God without any passion or life? You just have to follow your master. No, we obey from the heart. And this is beautiful. This is how Christianity works. If someone comes to Christ, their heart of stone, says Jeremiah, gets taken out and they're given a heart of flesh, a soft heart to the things of God. They love Him. They want to please Him. They need discipleship. But in general, the trajectory is one of progressive sanctification. We used that term two weeks ago. They slowly grow closer to Him because they have His heart now. They have His Spirit that is at work within Him. They've been transferred. They're no longer under their dominion or power or reign of sin. They've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son He loves under the reign of grace, under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian. And how does this happen? How does this happen? He is risen. That's it. That's number five. How does it happen? How am I supposed to like live the Christian life? How am I supposed to do all this? Because points one, two, and three, oh, they seemed like this burden on my back that I just need to get better. 
that if you have Jesus, he still lives and he lives in you. I'll read it so that you can see it for yourself, so that you can walk away and go, oh, what a good God. Verses 8 through 10, but be waiting for verse 10. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he what? He lives to God. Jesus is still living. And so if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, he's given you his spirit. And you will want him. You'll want to live because his life lives in you. And that's a promise. You can take it to the bank that he promises to continue to work in you and cause righteousness because he gave you his very righteousness. That's the message of Romans. Philippians 1.6. Don't go there, but memorize it. Like, hide it in your heart. He, Jesus, who began a good work in you, you at salvation, will carry it on to completion. That's sanctification. He'll help you grow. Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's when he comes back or until you die. That's a promise. Trust that promise. Parents, trust that promise. When your believing children are struggling in sin, trust it that God is still at work in them. They are, they're converted. God's going to continue his promise in their life that he's going to continue to work until they die or until Jesus comes back. Spouses, believe that of your other spouse when they're struggling in sin. Know that it's true that Jesus will be faithful because he is still living. If they have him, he will continue to live in and through them and cause their light to shine brighter. Just be patient. <laughs> Just be patient. It'll happen. Stand on that promise. Hold fast to it when you personally are tempted to sin. So I think this is a good closing prayer. I just wrote it out and it's just something like this. Like, God, thank you that I'm secure and shackled to you. Right? I didn't just like get saved and I'm released into oblivion with no help. Or I, I was transferred. My shackles of sin came off my heart was set free, and now I'm a slave to God. Because your son still lives, I'm going to trust that he's going to work in my life this week and help me battle my sin. That's it. All the fluff gone, and just want you to walk with Jesus this week here. We're going to close our time today in communion. And give you a chance to respond to, to the Word of God. Communion is, a, is one of, of Jesus' ordinances. He said to get baptized once. And then He said to continually do something over and over again. And that's the Lord's Supper. To remember His body that was broken for you and His blood that was shed for you. And we invite all who are in Christ. That's what the Scripture tells us to do. And if if you are in Christ, you are to let yourself be examined before God. That means that you open your heart and you say, Holy Spirit, 
Is there anything that is, that is grievous towards you? Would you clean that out? So, this, so communion is a time of remembering Jesus and confessing your sins to be made right with God again. It's beautiful to, to receive forgiveness. It's also a time when you can present your members to God, which is strange. No one talks like that anymore. But where you can go, I don't want just forgiveness of sins. I want to be used by you. And in order to be used by you, I want to be made right. And so communion is a must. We must be made right with God so that we can be used by Him. And He uses us in our brokenness and our shatteredness and darkness. But He says that if you are pure at heart, you'll be blessed. So we're going we're gonna to just pause. And then we're going to sing a song that says, Take my life and let it be. And take my hands and let them be. Take my feet. And it, what we're doing is we're presenting our members to Him. And we're saying, Whatever you want to do this week, Lord, use me. I talked to Scott Ratliff on the phone yesterday, and he said, I'm on my back for six weeks from this surgery, but I think God's going to use me in great ways this week. What's he doing? He is presenting everything he's got, even though he's on his back for six weeks, and God's going to use him. It's going to be a great six weeks, Scott. Let's pray. And then we'll take communion together. So Lord, we love you. We now just open our hearts to you. Lord, would you help us present our members to you? Our hands, our feet, our very lives. We remember your son Jesus and his great sacrifice in our place for our sin. And we pray that this week would be marked by sacrificing for Him. We thank You that through Him we can find forgiveness and we can be made right with You again. So it's in Jesus' name we pray.